Welcome to Environment Matters with me, Amanda Yorworth. Environment Matters is the show that brings you news on issues of sustainability and the environment from around St Albans and from further afield. Now, coming up later, keen allotment here. Keith Adsley, who you might know from the Eat Whole Foods market stall, shares his great hands-on advice on how to turn nettles and comfrey into grow-your-own-gold. But first, following on from the runaway success of the Great Hearts Garden Bird Count, Hearts Bird Club gave a new challenge to us, the Great Hearts Breeding Bird Challenge. To find out how it's going and what we can do to help birds at this super important time, I spoke to Hearts Bird Club committee member Graham Knight. So the Great Hearts Breeding Bird Challenge, is this new for this year? Uh, Yes, it is. It's uh, something we haven't tried before. Uh, And actually, it was inspired by the Great Hearts Garden Bird Count. And uh, it seemed that uh, recording breeding birds would be a good idea to lead on from uh, the garden count. And and is this useful information for you? Definitely. The Hearts Bird Club produces uh, an annual report with uh, details of all the species seen in the county in each year. And uh, in many years, it notes that lots of records were um, submitted to the club, but for many common species, not many breeding attempts were confirmed. So there might be several hundred records of a species, but only one or two uh, confirmed to breed when we know that's not actually the case. And why is this information useful for you? It's useful for two reasons. One, for us to be able to monitor how well uh, a breeding population of birds is doing but also to monitor this, how, how well spread across Hertfordshire a, a, a bird is uh, breeding, because some species are particularly in parts of the county um, where others are in different parts of the county. And it's important that we know that so that we know the types of places they're breeding, if they're unusual or, or rarer birds, if they need protecting particularly. Um, so what did you ask people to look out for specifically? Were they looking actually for the nests or just for sort of associated um, behaviour with breeding? What we look for is what we call proof or confirmation of breeding. And there's actually a recognised system for recognising whether a bird is in fact has successfully bred. And that is, I, the best of all is finding a nest, either because you can see it, which is pretty unusual, it's quite difficult to find most bird nests, or you can hear the young in it, or you can see the birds repeatedly going to the same site, and they're obviously going to a nest. That's not very easy to take quite a lot of patience, so there are other ways as well, particularly, for example, if birds are take carrying food. Most birds, particularly the passerines, the smaller uh, birds, don't carry food to eat for themselves, they tend to carry it to take to Uh, youngsters to be fed and then the final way is if you actually see the youngsters themselves newly out of the nest and we've probably all know we might have seen uh, newly fledged blue tits or great tits or common birds and it's uh, getting records of those as well that really help us understand where where and when birds are breeding. So did you get a good number of records this year? Have, Have people sent you lots of reports? Definitely. So I checked this morning and uh, up to not including today, we've received just over 500 different records of breeding birds in the county. Last year, we don't have the data available yet. But for the year before 2018, we had just under 200 for the whole breeding season. And we're probably only halfway through the breeding season at the moment because it starts for most species 
sometime in April and runs for most species till at the end of June or mid-July perhaps and for a few species it goes on till the end of August. So 500 versus 200 for the whole of last year is a big improvement already. Sounds fantastic. So have people noticed any unusual places that birds have been nesting this year? Definitely and it's actually we've encouraged both uh, submissions of records of unusual breeding sites and we have had um, a few records of unusual breeding sites and we've encouraged both the records and the uh, photographs of them if possible. So some examples we've had several um, blue tits and great tits found nesting in lampposts. We've had a record that I found of blue tits nesting in playground equipment. We've had traffic cone as a nest site and my favourite is house sparrows nesting in someone's house under their bath. Under their bath? Really? Yes. Wow. Yes. That now, must have been a bit of a surprise for them. You have to be something of a bird lover to tolerate that. But yes, that was a surprise to the person, the particular bird watcher who only moved into that house um, a few months ago. Wow. So have you noticed um, any birds that have done particularly well this year and the unusual conditions? I suppose the weather has been unusual, the fact that humans have been behaving slightly differently. I don't, I think it's a bit early to say at the moment because we, as I said, we're early in the breeding season still. So I don't think until we've finished it in June or July, will we really be able to tell. Of course, having lots more records is because we're asking for them. So in that sense, it may be a bit difficult to tell as well. The unusual nesting sites may relate to, for example, the lockdown that we've been in, because I don't think blue tits would be nesting in uh, children's playground equipment if there were children playing on it all day. In terms of species, it's hard to tell at the moment. And until, as I said, until we've finished, you won't really know. Yeah. OK. Um, so what kind of threats do breeding birds face? I think it's a lot to do with habitat removal of habitat, particularly at the wrong time of year. So I've seen examples where good breeding bird habitat is trimmed. So long grassy areas, areas of nettles or bramble are removed during the breeding season. And that can be a problem because quite a lot of birds nest on or close to the ground. A surprising number that you might not expect of quite a few different species. The other problem probably is uh, houses being repaired and the house dwelling species if I can think about things like starlings, house sparrows, swifts, house martins nest in either cracks in the houses or under the eaves and if there aren't cracks for them to nest in then it gets very difficult. So I found when observing these birds often it's the older houses uh, where they're still able to nest. Okay so just a couple of tips then if we as you say birds haven't finished nesting yet anything that we can do to help protect them or, or to help them um, with nesting? I would say try not to do too much cutting back of vegetation in, in your gardens because it's very difficult to even know that a nest is there sometimes and by the time you've found it it might be a bit late. Don't block up those holes in your roof and till later in the season if you've got holes in your roof if, if you're happy with that and also I think provide the kind of things that birds need anyway so fresh water is really important and some food for adult birds although most fledgling birds are fed on insects necessarily rather than the type of food we put in our gardens but the adults still need the food so that's quite important and if you think about it it's the busiest time in these birds lives when they're trying to raise chicks 
And so they need all the help they can get. They, they bring up their, their chick for all the daylight hours there are trying to feed them to get them out of the nest. So uh, the easier it is for them to feed themselves and uh, drink and provide water, uh, have water is, is really important. Indeed. And um, that's a very good tip there. Graham, thank you very much indeed for joining me. And Graham told me afterwards that they'd really value records of swifts and house martins breeding as both species are declining rapidly. And you can report your breeding bird sightings on the Hearts Bird Club website. That's hnhs.org. And as Graham said, everything you can report is of value and will help inform moves to protect birds in the future. And I think I'm right in saying that I saw swifts flying over Verulamium Park at the weekend and they really are astonishingly fast and agile in the air. And it would be a loss to all of us if future generations couldn't witness their extraordinary aerobatics. Now, many of us are enjoying growing our own at home at the moment. Some of us for the first time. And I always think that one of the loveliest things about gardening is how freely old hands share their tips and expertise. Now, one such mine of wisdom is Keith Adsley. He's a keen allotment here who likes to experiment with creative ways to use old bits and pieces on his allotment and to use what nature provides to grow organically. So, Keith, thank you very much indeed for joining me. So, nettles and comfrey. I mean, many um, allotments are plagued by persistent perennial weeds like nettles and comfrey, but you don't mind them so much. Why is that? No, they're absolutely fantastic. I mean, nettles and comfrey are a gardener's delight, really. Nettles and comfrey are great feeds. So um, why are plant foods from, or plant feeds, should I say, from nettles and comfrey, why are they so good? They're kind of rich in various things. A lot of nitrogen, a lot of magnesium, a lot of potassium. Kind of have the nettles more for leafy stuff and um, the uh, comfrey for more fruitier stuff. Like tomato plants tomatoes courgettes that kind of stuff we're not like professional uh, agricultural farmers that can rotate their crop and get uh, a bit of goodness back in the soil so we've got to use all the help that we can and it's much better to use these natural local organic things than go and buy an off-the-shelf uh, fertilizer that is probably in a single-use plastic bottle and we know we don't want that um, and also <clears throat> will have been produced synthetically to vast expense um, and a whole supply chain, which isn't yeah. really essential. And I suppose also the nettles and the comfrey comes free, don't they? So we can't ignore the economic benefit to you as well. So Keith, tell us, so what's the recipe then for, um, for plant food from nettles and comfrey? How do you make it? Both very, very similar. You need a big container. So if you've got a big old plastic bucket, a big old plastic tub, um, something fairly substantial, maybe 20 litres or so. Pick your nettles or your comfrey. You can mix them together, but I like to keep them separate. So pick the nettles. Uh, rule number one, wear gloves, long shirt possibly. If you're really paranoid, um, sellotape your gloves to your shirt with your hands and let arms inside them, obviously. That sounds so like a good get, tip. Yes, like that. Yeah, so get a good old crop. The tops of the nettles you can pinch out and use to make a nice tea. But the other heavier part of the nettle, um, get, a, get a, a scythe or a pair of shears and good old bunch. Like, you know, and, and when you put them in a bucket or a tub, really fill it up and press it down. So you, you can't overfill it. So with the nettles, get them like that. What I think is a good idea to do is, is cut them all up and then 
lay them out and kind of stamp on them or tread on them or even smack them on the back, back of the spade. Some people run a lawnmower over them to kind of break them up and to kind of get all the, uh, all the fibres broken up. Then put them in your container, cover with water. You need to weight them down. So either a few bricks or even if you've got you know, a bit of old paving slab, that will act as a bit of a lid and also uh, a weight. So you can weight them down and then um, put a kind of piece of board on top just to, just to get the smell out of the way. Okay. Keith, Similar some, with, I say, Keith, some people add water. Do you add water or do you just oh, leave yes, it? Yes, yeah, yeah. Always, always covering water. Always covering water. More or less the same for the comfrey. So the comfrey, pick the leaves and the stems, get the stems, give them a good old twist. I, I pull, the, pull the stems up and kind of crunch them up in my hands, crunch the leaves up. And almost, if you get a big handful, I think you're doing a Chinese burn. So you kind of twist your, you know, twist opposite ways. Then put that in a bucket, put a weight on it and cover with water exactly the same. Um, and then I would always suggest put out the way. If you've got a garden where you can, have got a shed at the back, put it behind the shed. Don't have it near the house or on a patio or somewhere where you might get some nasty smells. It does so smell it like nothing way. else, doesn't it, Keith? It, it really horrible. does, yes. Yeah, it yeah. smells absolutely horrible. Okay. Um, so how long does it how long does it take before you get the the lovely rich um, brown liquid from it? I mean, I mean, like anything, like good wine or cheese or whiskey, mature for as long as possible. The longer the better. But for about a month or so, you'll be absolutely fine. Now the trick is if you've got a container that you can fit a plastic tap to, like the taps you get for water butts, before you start. Drill a little hole in the side, about half an inch usually. Put the tap in, screw the tap in, make sure it's closed. Then you can fill up with everything. When it's all um, lovely and uh, composted down and a revolting brown mess, make sure it's up on a couple of bricks. Put something like an old two-litre lemonade soda bottle. Uh, take one of those, open the tap, fill it up. Then you can put the lid back on and have it somewhere um, out the way that you can add usually one part that to 10 parts water fantastic so, and, and you can use that when you're as, as you say when you're watering your your courgettes and your tomatoes and all your other crops and uh, and and this is all of course organic compatible as well isn't it absolutely right so it's, it's so it's, it's best to make sure that the crops are established a bit before you do it it ready to do you wouldn't want to do it on very young plants uh, comfrey particularly it's too powerful for a very young plant so you want the plant to be established you wouldn't do it with seedlings that sounds like a yeah uh, that sounds like a great tip as well well Keith thank you very much indeed and uh, well do share some photos of your fantastic crops and uh, and we'll show people what's uh, what's possible with um, all these wonderful organic fertilizers Keith thank you very much indeed for joining me and I was talking there to Keith Adsley. Now, on the subject of growing your own, Grow Community Sopwell are holding an online food garden question time on Thursday the 18th of June from 8 till 9.30. It's a free online event with experienced local gardeners talking about all things food growing. You can ask your questions and get tips and advice. You can find all the information you need, including how to book on the Grow Community Sopwell part of Cotton Mill and Sopwell Hub dot org.
And congratulations to Grow Community, who have helped local people to get together to rejuvenate the planters at Abbott's Avenue. Um, volunteers said it was a bit tricky with social distancing in mind. They took it in turns to weed, trim, dig and clean the beds. And they say they'll soon be introducing some wonderful plants and shrubs for the whole community to enjoy. And there's an abundance of sage and oregano already on offer. Um, and do take a look at the podcast page of RadioVerulam.com to find Kate Swindells talking about Grow Community Sopwell. And in the same podcast, you'll hear Nadia Bishara explain why so many gardens around St Albans now have sunflowers popping up. They're all going to look amazing. The Food Smiles One Plant Challenge, another great local food growing initiative, continues. And with it, lots of great advice on growing your own food from talented local grower Naomi Distill. And in her latest blog, which you'll be able to find on the website of Food Smiles, you'll find advice on watering tips, pruning tomatoes, growing for winter, companion planting and a mini challenge that Naomi has for you for June. Now, it's always good to hear from you. Get in touch via Twitter at RV underscore Environment or the Environment Matters Facebook page. You can drop me a line on Amanda at RadioVerulam.com. Now, I'll be back at the same time next week. Until then, thank you for listening.